welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon and skeptic. What is RDI? RDI, Renegade Detroit Investors, is a local real estate and investment business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No sales from the front ever. And no smell of stale coffee, Bengay, and or disappointment. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting people, although this week's just going to be me, and we go over shit they've done and pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, give it a like, share it across the internet, review it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever app you are using. It really does help, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Come on, guys. You know, nothing's free in life. Do the right thing. I appreciate it, too. If you have any comments or suggestions, or maybe there's a guest I should have, or maybe I'm not asking questions you would like, or maybe there's a topic you would like me to cover, let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors or facebook.com forward slash Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if I ever get around to getting these videos edited, hello, YouTube, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers, wholesalers, Detroit wholesalers. So legal disclaimer, I know it's where we live in folks in no way, shape or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment and or investment decisions, you contact a lawyer, and other and or other licensed professionals. Be an adult. Don't sue me. Show quote of the week. Every week, I try and pick a show quote to uh, set the tone for the podcast and hopefully, perhaps, if we're lucky, for your week. And um, man, I picked one. It's just me this week. So I picked one for me that I feel resonates <laughs> with my life, especially the last uh four or five years, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. Margaret Thatcher, you may have to fight a battle battle more than once to win it. All right. Sometimes the first attempt doesn't work and, uh, or you have partial success or mostly failure. Anyway, so this week I want to experiment with a different format. Um, I have other ideas and other formats and lots of experiments will be going on. But this one, I kind of wanted to see some sort of question and answer where it would be just be me. Um, and I would just answer questions and we just talk about things that were in my mind, interesting me or that you had questions about. So before I get into the questions and I did get some questions, I didn't get too many, um, which is not a problem because some of these questions are pretty good questions and it'll take me a little while to, uh, to answer them in Jeremy fashion. Some of them I don't, I don't know if I can answer, but um, I'll do the best I can. Things that have been on my mind and things that I have been thinking about. Um, for those who don't, you should definitely go listen to the uh, Ask Gary V show. It's another podcast. It's a hugely successful podcast. Um, something he, he, he talks about a lot is uh, stop wasting your time on shit that doesn't matter. And yeah, that's exactly how he says it. Stop wasting your time on shit that doesn't matter. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I've actually been thinking about that for months. What matters? What doesn't? And I, obviously, these are intensely personal questions, but 
there are uh, some of this at least could be uh, is not subjective. You know, it is objective. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, kind of like the 80-20 rule, Pareto's law, right? Generally speaking, 20% of what you do results in 80% of your results, right? So by that law, and if you observe it in your life, at least some of the stuff you're doing disproportionately um, impacts your life, your income, your health, your fitness, whatever, more than the others. Also the other way, bad too, right? You got a difficult spouse, things can get out of control, you know? So it, it goes both ways. Um, I, I've been thinking about this for months as I just try and cut and rip and pull more things out of my life and try and focus on the things, try and focus on the things that will help and get the results I want. Um, for me, I need to dial more. I need to spend more time dialing. I need to make more offers, um, more time working out. And I have a pretty busy life. I have a very full life. So that's that's been something I've been thinking about. And um, actually, I went over it in far, far greater detail um, on the podcast two weeks ago where I was with Steve and we talked about um, goals, habits, tracking, motivation, and all that. That was a great podcast. I think it was an hour and a half. I cited all my my source material as well. Um, but that's just something I've been thinking about and and how I can change different things and and move forward. Uh, commitment I've made this year is uh, smarter tracking. Last year, about halfway through the year, I started tracking just about everything. And I got, I got carried away. I just tracked the shit out of everything. It was just, I create enormous amount of work. I don't think there's anything wrong with having all that um, information, but it was difficult to manage, difficult to do, and not as useful as I would think immediately. So back to the 80-20 rule, this year we started with significantly less, about half. I cut out about half of what I was tracking just to try and track that and, and move forward. So that being said, since I'm by myself and I'm not getting any feedback, it's a little strange. Here are the questions. Now, most of these questions were emailed to me. Um, I don't know if I have permission to say their name, so I'm not going to, but I know um, one, one, I have one question I'll start with where I know it's okay. So question number one, a question I thought about after leaving tonight's wholesaling meeting are what are the stats on face-to-face appointments? We talked about an example of one out of 24 leads turning into a deal. What's the average or beginner stats with appointments? Of the 24 discussions that may result in one deal, how many of those discussions are in-person appointments? For example, 1,200 postcards equals 24 phone calls equals question mark number of appointments equals question mark number of deals. How many deals close on first visit face-to-face versus follow-up? So any general stats on appointments would be appreciated. Thanks. And that's Jeff Lipple. You can find him on Facebook, Jeff Lipple. All right. Thanks, Jeff. That's uh, That was actually several questions, and I appreciate that. What's the average or beginner stats with appointments? I don't know. I can tell you what it was when um, I started, but I didn't start wholesaling as a newbie. I had a significant amount of experience, I think, as most people are aware. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good set point. But then again, I tend to think that there's nothing special about me. I really don't think there is, other than I just work my fucking ass off. 
So I think everybody can achieve these results pretty quickly if you'll just um, focus. I can only tell you what my results are. So out of 24, it takes for me personally, it takes 24 leads for me to get one deal closed. So 24 leads, though, is how many appointments? It depends on the city I'm mailing. And let me give you an example, right? In a city like Detroit, if um, if Steve mails Detroit, there's a lot more motivation in a city like Detroit. You're going to get a lot more responses. Your response rate is going to be significantly higher. You are going to set more appointments. Uh, you are going to make more offers, and you probably are going to get more deals accepted. I don't think it's an accident. Then something like 50% of our deals comes from Detroit and other hard-hit landlord areas, right? I don't, I don't think that's an accident. That being said, generally, if I get 24 phone calls, I will set six to 10 appointments, right? If it's Royal Oak or other places in Oakland County with a lot more competition, it might even be a little lower. Um, the less motivation and the more intense the competition, obviously, the more difficult it's going to be for you to, to get them to agree on the phone or find their motivation or agree to a price that makes sense for you. So you would set less appointments. You would still do that, though, because generally speaking, while the percentage, whatever that percentage you were going to make, um, is maybe less, it does usually result in significantly more um, more profit, right? So 5% of a $20,000 Detroit deal isn't very much. 5% of a $200,000 Royal Oak House, significantly more. That's what I'm saying. So for me, 24 phone calls ends up anywhere somewhere between 6 and 10 appointments. Of those appointments, generally 20 25%. I will actually get under contract, right? So, um, and sometimes it's a little higher at 30%, um, but it should be that low, all right? It should be low. And I'd say the only caveat to this is you would you want to make sure your spread is as big as possible because the amount of work you have to do once you put a property under contract is generally the same regardless of whatever profit you're making, Right. So you need some sort of target to aim for. Um, and the target you're aiming for um, will, if you're, if you're aiming for a target, right, the target you're aiming for should be, I think, um, at least over 5,000. Um, 5%, 5 to 10% is generally what um, we're trying to, to squeeze out of something, right? So in Detroit, that might be five, 6,000. Or in the suburbs, it might be ten to fifteen thousand, right? So I want that spread. I want that spread to be as big as possible because the work required is the same, right? I don't want to accept every deal. I don't. Uh, good examples last year. Looking over the numbers, um, God, I wish I had them right in front of me. I'm going to go from memory, and I'll probably be corrected later. But the general idea is. The average profit per deal uh, was, I believe, forty. It was either forty-two hundred or forty-eight hundred last year. The average profit per deal. So that's where you take all the deals, divide it by, you know, however much profit there was, divide it by the number of deals, and get your average profit per deal. Um, that's not very much. That was too low. Steve and I talked like, oh, okay, man, we really got to get that number up. Our goal was eight thousand per deal minimum. Um, 
which is more than 5% in Detroit, significantly more than 5%, might be 10 to 15%. Um, and that might be less of a percentage in the suburbs. So we wanted to get that average uh, deal up. And I think we're already significantly better, even though we started uh, what, three or four months ago really pushing really hard on that. So I know it's a long answer to your question. So um, I think we're at like six or 7,000. So 20 to 25% seems like a bad thing. Like, oh, only 20 to 25%. I think that's a good thing. Um, now, the caveat being is if there are good spreads, then don't listen to my numbers, right? Like if you really have that many deals that are, if you set 10 appointments and they all have, I think this is very unlikely to happen, but if they all have that kind of spread and it makes sense and is a good percentage, we'll obviously lock them up. I just don't think that's um, reflected in reality. Um, how many of those discussions are in person appointments? Almost none. Almost none. Used to. Um, lots of reasons not. First of all, just trying to get more done, um, get the time. You know, I, I don't go to houses anymore. Um, somebody else does. That takes time. And that person's obviously not qualified to necessarily um, close them, right? Because you want to send a closer to close. You, that's where a lot of businesses make mistakes or a lot of uh, people when they hire, they don't get they don't get closers. They don't hire a closer. What is a closer? A closer is someone who knows how to get to yes. Get to yes, get them to sign on the line that is dotted, right? So um, that being said, when I was going, somewhere between 15 and 20%, I would attempt to get them to sign in person. And how did I make that decision? If I felt they were extremely motivated and if I left the house, they were very likely to sign with someone else. If I feel that when I was going, I would generally make the offer, right? So what do I do now for, if I have a deal like that? If it's one of those deals uh, and I, I booked the appointment for Steve and Steve goes because he'll just close them when he's there. Otherwise, most of them I do over the phone. You send purchase and sale agreements and all that via email or using um, apps and software like HelloSign where somebody can sign a purchase and sale agreement. Um, from their smartphone, tablet, email, computer, whatever, and or email to them, have them fax it back or scan and email. Why? I'm not entirely sure why, but I have some guesses why. I think for the average person who's not extremely motivated, let's say they're motivated, but they have some time. They just want to be done. There's something about the human brain where just because someone else can't, they assume you can't. So if you walk through a house, and I can do this in general, um, at least on houses under 200000 I have difficulty above that just because I don't have as much practice. Um, I can walk through a house having done a lot of rehabs, and in 15 minutes or less, I'm within 5 to 10% of what the rehab cost is going to be to get that back up to the highest after repair value possible, or at least for what is in the area, right? So... Um, I could do that pretty quick and then make an offer on the spot. I think that's very, uh, my guess is I think that's very intimidating to people who don't know. And I think this reflects itself in uh, a lot of ways in human psychology, right? And these are just guesses. And I'm just, 
so don't take this for the gospel or anything like that. Not that that shit's real anyway, but you know what I mean? Don't take this for the encyclopedic knowledge or facts or true. But I think the first reaction a lot of people have is I'm selling too cheap. When you do it like that and you make an offer on the spot, I think they feel like they're missing out. Um, and or combined with, um, you're trying, I, I'm too low. You're trying to swindle me, right? How could you possibly do it that fast? How can you, cause you got to realize when you're going to these problem houses, they've had these problem houses for a very long time. They've been attempting to sell them. They've been attempting to rehab them. Maybe it's been a couple of years. Maybe it's been a couple decades. Yes. People will actually sit on houses for decades and keep paying property taxes and insurance and pile up the costs. And you come in in 15 minutes and make them an offer. I think it's difficult for them to believe. Also, I think you can set yourself up for success better, right? You don't want much time to elapse between when the call comes in, when you book the appointment, and when you make the offer. But you don't want it to be too quick, too, right? To be crude, um, you want to go on a date, and let's say you want to seal the deal, right? You want to go home with the guy or girl, and you want to get laid. Uh, it can be difficult to close somebody on the first date. Maybe you're great at it. I don't know. But if you play a long game, play I don't know. That that would be, that's what I do. I found that three days, sometimes two, that seems to be the sweet spot where I don't get that resistance. I might get other resistance for other reasons, but I generally don't feel like they're making a rash decision. Oh, I put them on the spot. Oh, gee, I don't know. I can't make a decision that fast. Am I selling too cheap or 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 he's trying to swindle me or what's going on here? I'm really confused. How can you possibly do that? So most of them, 90%, 95%, almost all of them now, um, I do uh, via phone and I kind of call comes in same day, call that day, book an appointment, try and book an appointment for the next day, send the property scout out, get the pictures back that night, and then on the third day, call and make the offer, get the purchase and sale agreement signed. So... I think you should make an offer in person, though, if you feel that way. I I, I don't think this is um, – this could just be the way – and I want to put this out there, right? Because I'm – I've only been doing this for like a year and a half, folks, right? Um, I've been in real estate for a long time, but I've only been doing this for a year and a half. Uh, I don't think I'm necessarily the best negotiator. Um, I've learned a lot. I know people who, who are much better at it, Ron Wallraven, Steve Lundo, uh, Mike Cowper, Mike Square, you know. I just think there are, are far more qualified people, right? So I think some people are better at it than others. So I may just have found something that works better for me, and it might not necessarily be true of you. Um, I also think I am better over the phone than I am in person a lot of times. I think so. Um, I'm kind of a large guy. Um, I'm not tall, but I'm like 5'10". And 240 pounds, um, working on that, getting that down. But I'm, I'm also broad. I'm large, have a beard, kind of look like a fucking angry lumberjack farming dude, right? I do wear a shirt and tie and all that, but I, I'm a big intimidating dude. So I think that intimidates people. Also, if you've noticed, my style is very direct. Um, I don't have a problem with eye contact either. And I think that intimidates a lot of people. So this, I think I'm just going to qualify by saying it's my own personal experience. I think you should test these things too. Okay. 
Like for instance, I think Steve is way better in person than he is on the phone. Now he's really good on the phone too. I'm not saying he's bad on the phone. He's really good on the phone, but he's a, he's a slayer in, in person, right? If I was that good in person, I would probably attempt to close more in person if I still went on those appointments, right? How many deals close on a first phase visit to follow up? I think I answered that question. So any general stats on appointments would be appreciated. Let me make sure I answered all these questions. I think so. I think I did. All right. Next question. How do you generate leads online? Oh boy. Uh, well, this is a very general, that's a very general question. I don't know how to give a specific answer to a very general question. I'm assuming it's about wholesaling because that's what I've been talking about here for the last three months going through the wholesaling series, which by the way, you should go back and check out. It's pretty good. I think got lots of smart people working on it, helping me on it. So you should definitely go out and check that out. So I'm assuming you want leads. You want motivated sellers and or private lender leads and or maybe business partners. Maybe just look, so let's say opportunities. How do you generate opportunities online? Because it's a general question. Let's keep it general, right? First, I don't think being milk toast is the way to go. Unless you really are milk toast. If you're a plain Jane boring person, don't have a strong opinion on anything, don't have an opinion on anything, don't like to, don't like controversy, don't like to ruffle the water for whatever reason. Um, I don't think milk toast is the way to go. I think you should be as much as possible, be the best version of yourself, right? I say best version because if you're an asshole or a bitch or something, right? I don't think you should be more of that, right? That's a problem. You should find a way to temper that, uh, but that being said, I want you to be the best possible version. I think you should be the best possible version of yourself, right? And you have to share. Online is sharing and not just the business stuff you do. I, I see this all the time. You have to share your life as well and not just the good shit that happens. Share the bad shit. Now, I, I maybe I take it to an extreme. Um, lots of reasons why I grew up in a secrecy kind of thing. And I, I just fucking hate it. I hate it. Um, I also don't mind sharing and, and telling my story. I'm not, em I am embarrassed about it, but I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. I'm embarrassed that it happened, but talking about it doesn't mean it didn't, it didn't happen. And I think rightly so that when I talk about things that have gone right or things that have gone wrong in my particular way of doing it, that, uh, it generates a lot of interest and it's authentic because it is because I am talking about it and I, I'm, I'm talking about it like I would talk. If you notice when I, when I talk on the podcast or I do this, I, I'm the same in person. I'm the same online. Um, although I do try and clean up my language a little bit on the podcast and not be quite so aggressive just because I do want to, I want to be a better version of myself on the podcast. And I think I am trying to do that on social media as well. So I think first you just got to share things. You got to share about business things. And you got to share about your personal life. Obviously, you got kids. You, you and your spouse figure out how much you want to share. I also think as you're listening to this podcast, I think you guess where I'm going. You should put yourself out there. You should share even more. Why not start a YouTube channel? Why not? Why not start a podcast? You don't need all, all this fucking equipment. You can do it on your phone. I did it on the Zoom 5. The first, uh, I think it's 8 
seven or eight episodes. We were just on this, no mics whatsoever. Steve got so disgusted at the sound quality, he basically like, look, you need to go do this, 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 and this, right? But that's not necessary. You could just use your smartphone and do a podcast or put together a YouTube series. I put together a um, kind of a silly and chintzy, and I look back at it, slightly embarrassing, but hey, man, I was doing shit, right? Detroit Investor TV, if you go to the YouTube channel. And um, that was a very stressful time for me, by the way, so don't judge me too harshly, but whatever. Those videos created lots of sales. I think people get tired of the guru shit. I think people want authenticity. I think people want to know what's really happening. And in these videos, I talked about things that were really happening. And of course, there's links back to your website, right? So I think when you put yourself out there, I think when you share, I think when you push it all over social media, you're going to get leads if you do this consistently. It's not something you do once, though. You got to do it every week, maybe every day, maybe a couple times a week. Not less than once a week, I would say. Not less than once a week. And it might take six months to a year before it really, really kicks off, right? How to generate leads online. That's how, that's how I, that's how I do it. What do you think this podcast is, man? It's not that I don't like doing it. It's not that I don't enjoy the interviews, but I, I'm attempting to do something. I'm trying to generate more leads. I'm trying to meet more like-minded people. I'm trying to swim with more sharks. And I do this in my personal life, but hey, it's 2016. All this technology is available. It is a global economy. Why not put it out there? Why not share, right? Long-winded answer. Um, I'm just getting started wholesaling. How would you recommend that I start? Ugh. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't recommend shit, right? I'm not going to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. Let me tell you what I screwed up, though, and you kind you put it together from there, right? So when I started in real estate, it was the end of 2005. If you could remember back that far, uh, depending on who you are, the internet, yes, there was internet. No, there wasn't smartphones. No, there really wasn't apps. Um, I had still had that little blue Nokia phone, right? Paid a ridiculous amount of money for a website. Um, uh, ridiculous amount of money for a website. And um, I was in a small town, Pullman, Washington, um, which is on the border of Washington State and Idaho State. It's a college town, Washington State University. 50,000 people in this town, right? 30,000 of them college students and or staff and another 20,000 wheat farmers, basically just wheat farmers, people growing wheat and or other agricultural related activities, orchards, that kind of stuff, right? Um, so I really had no idea what I was doing more than normal, right? Because generally when I start something, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but uh, at least I have the internet now, smartphones, YouTube, all that shit. It's it's all great. Uh, I swim with sharks. I'm in a big city, Metro Detroit. I think it's 4.4 million people, lots of real estate meetings. Um, so I made lots of mistakes, right? First of all, not worth marketing in any newspaper or magazine. There are caveats. You know better than I do. You're smarter than I. It's too expensive. It's too slow. Nobody's reading that shit, especially now in 2016. Um don't don't do that right um how do i get started just get started i start talking to people start talking to people about real estate um don't you want to spend as little money as possible and any money you do spend you want to track 
my first deal took me nine months. It was Tina and Shane Bennett. It was this tri-level. It was a weird house. It was a tri-level, 3,200 square foot house. And I tried selling this thing. It took me nine months to get this thing sold, right? And they were friends, and they humored me, and they owed very close to what the house was worth. So I think it was good for both of us. They couldn't afford to go with like a traditional agent. Um, and they had some time. They started early. They had some time to um, to get it done. So they humored me. Anyway, it did work out. It took me nine months to sell it. The mistakes I made along the way, though, uh, I did classified advertising um, where, I, where I paid for, for newspaper stuff. I didn't track the money I was spending. I put up signs. Um, I held open houses. That shit does not work. Um, at least for, for wholesalers anyway, at least the way I was doing it. Um, I didn't have a good plan. I wasn't focusing on the right houses. I should have never been wholesaling this house. This house was very close to no equity. It maybe had 5% equity in it. This is in 2005, 2006, just as the market's starting to slow down, right? This is when I'm getting in. I don't know any better. Um, so I made, I made lots, lots of mistakes like that. So I'm, I finally get this deal closed. It was $3,000 profit, which I was so excited about first check. I didn't even know how to title company. I literally didn't know the guy buying the house though, that I found for the buyer was an agent. So he helped me out. Title company didn't know what an assignment was, but we kind of figured it out and it was easier to get things done in the 2005, 2006 environment as far as title companies, because kind of everything goes um, time. I discovered, however, several months later, after I finally sat down and we, Gina and I did our taxes and I lost money. I lost money on that deal. I can't remember what the exact number was, but it was, I think it was, I spent $5,000 in marketing. And does it include other things, right? Like nine months working on this deal. Uh, so I just went about it all the wrong way. I recommend you have to, the two things you just have to, you have to, that you must qualify your leads, right? Are they motivated? What does that mean? They must sell. A truly motivated seller must sell in the next 60 days or less, right? If that isn't the person, move on, put them in some sort of follow-up campaign, right? Get their email address, autoresponders, all that they must have the equity, right? They need to be able to sell at the price you need to buy. Anything else, for the most part, is a waste of time. It just is. So how would I start? Pick an area somewhere along either where you work and or where you uh, live or somewhere in between. Um, and then make sure if you're marketing, you're spending marketing dollars that you, you are focusing on motivation and equity. Must they sell? Yes. Okay. They have to sell the next 60 days. Do they have the equity sufficient to sell to me at the price I need to make the profit I need? Yes. Okay. That's the person I need to market to and then track. And don't do what I did. Don't quit your job. Don't move your family. Don't do any of that dumb shit. Figure out what you're doing first. I made things way more difficult than I had to. So if I was to go back and do it all over again, I would do that. I would also jettison most of your loser friends too, right? I'm not saying all your friends are losers, but very likely most of them are. 
hey, most people on this planet suck. Sorry, I'm sure they're decent people, but they're not going to get you where you, you need to go. Hang out with sharks. That's why, and actually, I'm, I'm going to wait for that because somebody actually asked that question. Um, so, so hang with sharks, too. I, I didn't do that early enough, and I realized that was a problem after about a year and a half, and Gene and I um, solved that. So anyway, hope I answered your question there. Also, I can't remember. I pulled this from an email. I can't remember who asked that question. I won't say your name anyway if I did. But if you go back to the wholesaling series, I got three parts of the wholesaling series. There's still three more to go. First one is about how to start a wholesaling business with the least amount of money possible. I think there's lots of great information in that. It's an hour. The next one's about um, talking to sellers. And the one I just finished um, last night was direct mail and lists. And basically, this is every dumbass thing I did and what not to do and what to do, at least what I do and what Steve does and what other people do and what we're, what we're trying to do too, because that's the best version of ourselves. I'm not saying we're, we do it all, but the best version of ourselves. So definitely recommend that uh, you go listen to those in detail because that's really like a 30-hour conversation. You go listen to three hours, right? So next question, what are the best real estate investing books you have read that you would recommend? Just real estate investing books, huh? Well, my favorite, at least the best one I have read, and I've read dozens, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. I don't see I can go wrong with this book. It's one of those books I read, I think it was three years after I started, where I was just pissed that I hadn't read it like day one. I could have literally solved 70, 80% of my problems, some of the big mistakes I made that cost me a lot of money, if I just would have read this fucking book earlier in my career, um, that would have helped. That would have helped significantly. So I really like that book. And the next one isn't really a real estate book per se. So I'm going to kind of cheat. But if you're like me and you're kind of a massive action, like to work your ass off kind of thing, sometimes you end up doing things just to do things or that 80-20 rule we're talking about. Maybe they're not getting the result, all the results you want. The one thing by Gary Keller, right? So I highly recommend you listen to that too. What podcasts do you listen to? All right. I listen to a shit ton of podcasts. I don't watch TV. I don't like TV. So, and I farm a lot and I have dogs and I spend a lot of time outside. I spend a lot of time outside alone. So I listen to a ton of podcasts and a ton of audiobooks, and it's something I really enjoy, right? So here are the podcasts that I try not to miss no matter what. The Joe Rogan Experience. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, he has two. Um, Ask Gary V and The Daily V, right? Um, Flip This with Steve. That's an excellent one, Steve Lundo. A new one I just started listening to that – I really like is uh, Jocko Willink. Um, he and Leif Babin, Babin, I'm sorry if I screwed up your name, dude. They wrote um, Extreme, Extreme Ownership, which is an excellent book, by the way. Um, and he started a podcast, and it is an excellent podcast. Uh, and it is about extreme ownership, and it's about self-improvement and being honest with yourself and, you know, just doing, challenging yourself, doing difficult things, um, living your life to the fullest kind of thing too, right? Uh, I listen to Waking Up with Sam Harris, which is a philosophy show. Um, Free Domain Radio with Stefan Molyneux, which is also philosophy. 
the Tim Ferriss show by Tim Ferriss, obviously, um, on being, which is a philosophy, religion, yada, yada show, uh, virgin, which is an excellent business one, by the way. And then long form, which is a, which is funny because my podcasts are so long. Although this one will be a little shorter. Um, which is they talk to business people and success, basically successful people, either artists, business who are successful in life. And they talk about that. So those are the ones I listen to regularly. I have more that I listen to. I listen, I probably listen to 15 to 20 hours a week of podcasts or audiobooks at least. So I listen to a lot, but these, these are the ones I, I try to listen to religiously as it were. Right. Um, Next question. Should I become a real estate agent? Pros and cons. All right. This is a good question, right? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. That being said, if you go back to the very first podcast um, where I had Alan Daniels, who's a seasoned grizzly vet and real estate's just in his family. His father was a dentist and a uh, note buyer. And he does all sorts of things, Alan Daniels. And I think he puts together a very strong case on why now and or into the future and our current climate. What do I mean by our current climate? 2016 America. It appears to me, and this is Alan's argument, that we are heading for more European style regulation, right? So... When you read the rules about wholesaling and whether you should or shouldn't be an agent and able to do it, I have always said no before. You don't have to be an agent. I don't see where you had to be an agent. Um, but it, it, to be honest, it's not clear. There are rules that say, hey, if you sell more than five houses or 20 houses or 15 houses, depending on the interpretation and depending on the state, I'm talking about Michigan right now, which I believe is four or five houses. Um, you may need to become a real estate agent. Do I think that's been solved? No. Have I been convinced that it's a good idea to be an agent if you're going to be a wholesaler or do more than four or five deals a year? Yes, I've been convinced, and it is something that um, I'm going to do. And I'm in the process of doing it, and I'm working really hard on it. So and that's something in and of itself. It's not a difficult thing to do, but I have other problems. So. I don't know, dude. Go talk to your attorney. Remember that disclaimer and uh, talk to other investors and and decide for yourself. Um, last question here. How do you find the tire kickers? What do you say to get them to say a price first? So I think you're talking about um, talking to sellers, right? Which I, which I have a podcast on this. Um, you should definitely go listen to also the, the podcast with Steve Lando and Mike Cowper and Ron Walraven. If you do a lot of phone sales and you're on the phone a lot, those are excellent podcasts to listen to. Um, because I asked lots of questions about that because it was something I was intensely interested in. I want to learn from people who had way more experience than I did. And, uh, it's very profitable for me to, to change the way I was doing things. So it's definitely worth going listening. So how do you find, how do you find the tire kickers, right? Um, generally tire kickers, meaning I, I think what you're meaning is they're not qualified was not qualified. I mean, they're not motivated was not motivated mean, means they, they don't have to sell now motivated. We want must sell. 
So that's the first indication, you know, like, well, you know, I really don't have to sell. Sometimes they'll say that. Or you'll ask them about the house. What can you tell me about your house? I go, well, what do you want to know? They're just difficult in general, right? I think if, if you're being difficult in general, you're not that motivated, at least on the phone, right? You might be difficult in real life. Your life might be a fucking mess. You might not be able to do anything right, but you still want to get rid of your house, right? So I'm talking, you're talking on the phone. If I get resistance to my questions, I will go to what's called a takeaway. I will say something like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I have to ask a lot of questions to get like this, but have you considered listing your property with a real estate agent? Um, you know, my boss, he's a professional real estate investor. This is what we do. He's got five kids. This is how he feeds his kids. Um, you know, when we buy, we buy at a 30 to 40% discount. That's how we make our money. You can generally, if you don't have to sell now, if you don't need to sell now, you can do better by going with a real estate agent or investing more money in your house and selling to a homeowner, which is what we're going to do. Have you considered that Mr. or Mrs. Seller? And I'll wait to see what they say. I'll do a takeaway. Well, yeah, and I might, but I want to see what you said. If they say something like that, then generally I'll go, look, if I paid you all cash, close when you want it, what's the least you consider? And that goes into the price. How do you get them to say price first? Oh, so to finish up the first, uh, how do you find the tire kickers? I do a takeaway. I do a takeaway. Um, I'll offer up another service. Well, this may not be for you. I'll say that too. Well, you know, we work for a lot of people, but it, this may not be for you. This is what we do and see what they say. Does that sound like something you're interested in doing? Well, no, I'll put, I just ask, I'll put them in a spot. In general, when I'm structuring my my phone calls, because um, I do want to make sure I'm spending time talking to the right people, and not there's nothing wrong with talking to people, and most people are worth speaking with and, and talking to. But I want to talk to people who are going to say yes, right? Within two minutes, it's my goal to get to your second part of your question was, what do you say to get them to say price first? I ask, and I got this from uh, Ron Walraven and Mike Cowper, and then the end part. I got from Steve Londo and I'm sure they got him from other places too. Right. So generally within two minutes, they'll call in, Hey, I'll, or they'll call and leave a message. I'll call him back. Hey, my name is Jeremy. I work for Steve. I'm returning your phone call from 30 minutes ago or hour ago regarding your house in Detroit on uh patent. Oh, Hey, how you going? Yeah, great. Uh, what can you tell me about your house? Generally, that's over in one or two minutes. And whether they told me all the information about their house or not, and before I ask whether or not the house needs work or whatever the problem is, within that first two minutes, I will ask, what were you hoping to get? How much were you hoping to get? How much are you hoping to get for your house? I'll just ask you just like that. How much were you hoping to get? Most people will tell you when you put them on the spot like that, if they're motivated, they will. I do that in the first two minutes because I want to know where the price resistance is. Go back to, I know they have equity. I want to know if they're motivated. This is how I start figuring out if they're motivated other than just listening to them talk during the first two minutes, right? If they give you a stupid number here, it's probably not a deal. Like, ooh, that's more like half that. Half that or less. That'll be another test, right? Um, and you can't always get them to say price first, right? So if they ask, well, I don't know, what were you going to offer? I'm like, well, I'm not sure. I haven't looked yet, but you have a, a price in mind. Uh, I knew you're calling. I mean, you don't want to lose money, right? How much do you have into it? I'll ask questions like that. Yes, I'm that direct. How much do you owe on your mortgage? Because I know you at least have to get that. 
they give you too much grief. Hey, I know everybody wants to get as much as they get. I understand. And sometimes I'll get pushy. I'll go, look, I can't book an appointment. I can't book an appointment if we can't agree to a range. If I paid you all cash, close when you wanted, what's the least you would consider? Shut up. What do you do if they won't say price first? I'm going to throw that question in there. They didn't ask, but I'm going to throw that in there because I feel like I'm leaving this thing unfinished. You should definitely go listen to those other podcasts I mentioned, though, because we talk about this in great length. But what do you do when you can't get them to say price first? Because I don't mess around with it too long. 45 seconds to a minute. uh, And then I'll just give them a low number, right? Before I call, I kind of have an idea of what the house is worth. So we were going to talk about how much work it needs. Well, how much work does it need? It doesn't need any work. Okay, so let's say the house is $100,000. Like probably somewhere between sixty and sixty-five, Maybe less if um, de- depending on how fast we close and what other work it needs in case we miss anything. Does that sound like something you're willing to consider? I wouldn't accept a dime less than 80. Well, no good. I get to get off the phone now, right? Move right on. Um, you know, I think everybody should get as, and what do I say is like, Hey, Mr. And Ms. Seller, I think everybody should get as much as they, as they can for the property. Um, I understand we're not able to pay that. We're professional real estate investors. This is how we take care of our family. Um, the best we can do is somewhere between 60 and 65. Um, Hey, let me know, call back. And then I'll always ask this question too, as I, as I go along, I always ask this question. Is there any other real estate you may or may not be interested in selling? at a discount. I understand that maybe this property isn't going to work. So throw that in there. So that's the last question. Um, so where are we at? We're at, uh, like 42, 43 minutes. So this will be a short podcast, at least for this podcast, this will be really short. So, um, what I would like though, cause I want to try this, this format, this question and answer format, um, by myself, I think I want to try a question and answer format with another guest too. Um, and then you can get multiple perspectives on it. But I would like to know what you thought of this format. And if you like this format, send your questions to Jeremy at renegadedetroit.com and put in the subject line podcast questions. And if it sucks, just send me an email. Go, dude, it sucks. Don't ever do an episode like that again, right? That will that will help me out too. So if if you're interested, if you liked it, if you liked it, and you have questions, send me an email, Jeremy J E R E M Y at renegadedetroit.com and put in the subject line podcast question. And then if it sucks, let me know otherwise. I really appreciate it. I I kind of like this format. I think. Um, I can get better questions too. Um, and we may end up doing, I may end up doing this with, with somebody else too, because it's nice having somebody else to talk and I don't have to talk the whole time and keep you entertained and, you know, not get too sidetracked or have dead air. So, all right, let me know. I really appreciate it. And if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. Let them know it's a free podcast and the sharing really helps. Review it on iTunes. Give it a like, Stitcher, wherever you're at. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, reach out and let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegadedetroitinvestors or facebook.com, Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess, or if you prefer, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. 
And as I wrap up this podcast, this very short podcast, I think the shortest podcast I've ever done, I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know I do this every time. I like encouragement. I like motivation. I don't feel there's enough people in our lives doing this. So I want to do this. It's just as important for me as it is for you because every time I say it, I'm reinforcing it in my mind. I know there are distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, and bad habits that may prevent you from starting or continuing your goals. Stick with it. You don't have goals? Go write some down. Go listen to that podcast that Steve and I are on about goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day. And guess what? If you didn't do something yesterday, do it now. Do it now. Just now. If not now, then when? Come on. Don't beat yourself up. Just start doing it. Do something every day. As best you can to get close to your goals, even if it's just one step. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate your attention. I know you could be doing a lot of other things, probably be listening to much better things. Uh, I really do appreciate your attention. To everybody who came out last night to the uh, third um, Wholesaling 101, where we talked about direct mail and lists, uh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That kind of energy, I think, does does get on the podcast and it's helpful. And for everybody who asks questions too, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Until then, crush it. <laughs>